You know, this Christmas season, um, one of the just commonly stressed themes we have when we enter Christmas time, incidentally, I got my Christmas lights up the earliest I've ever gotten them up. I'm really proud of myself. Normally, I put them up about one week before Christmas. That's when I put them up. But this year, they went up right after with all the warm weather here. I feel like we're in Arizona right now in Colorado. (laughs) With all the warm weather, I thought I might as well put them up now. But there's this expectation that you have uh, about Christmas. And, and it's hard for us to really appreciate this expectation like the days of, of the Gospels, uh, like the days of the Old Testament. Uh, there was a day when Israel was anticipating the Savior of the world. They were anticipating a king to come. They were anticipating, hoping, longing for a better day. Much of their days, they were in slavery or in bondage or in exile. So they were anticipating a better day. For us, we don't have that kind of anticipation. We just don't live with that kind of hope. Not like that. We're all kind of consumed with our own worlds. And maybe it's related to your family life or finances or kids or whatever it is. And we're just kind of consumed with our own worlds. But we don't have a common anticipation. Maybe the closest we have is one day coronavirus won't be on the face of the world, face of the earth, right? That's a good anticipation. Lord, bring healing to our land in Jesus' name. Um, But that is something that kind of brings us together, isn't it? Brings us all together. Breath is a good thing. Don't you agree? Breath is a good thing. Health is a good thing. And, and, and that's what brings us together. We have to be careful during this time. For those of you who consider yourselves Christians, I'll say it again. We have to be careful against any kind of spirit of division. Because the devil will use anything to create division. So we need to be careful. We need to be on guard with that. We need to be more focused on Jesus Christ and loving others than anything, anything else. With this anticipation... We're looking at Luke chapter 1 and 2. Luke chapter 1 and 2, there's some great stories in there. This is the story before the Christmas story. So it involves a guy named Zechariah, Elizabeth, and a famous virgin. What's her name? Mary. You know her name. Pretty, pretty famous. But as we look at, as we look at this story, uh, I, I, it's just a beautiful story. We can learn a lot from it, and I believe God still has a word for us today. But the, the title of this series that we're going into is called Faith and Doubt. Faith and Doubt. Um, because when you look at these two chapters, all you see is Zechariah or Elizabeth or Mary exercising faith or doubt. We can all identify with this. Faith, uh, I I looked up a definition where faith can be defined as complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I think the key word there is complete, right? Complete trust or confidence. Doubt is defined as a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction, a feeling of uncertainty. When should you have faith? And is a little doubt okay? Sometimes it's okay, isn't it? Sometimes we say stuff like, I have faith that the Broncos will make the playoffs this year. You know, anybody have that kind of faith? Anybody willing to go there? Or, or I, I, have, I, I doubt the Broncos will ever pick a good draft pick, right? Some of you are like, yep, that's true. I believe that. Uh, <laughs> I have faith that my car will start. You have that kind of faith? Um, or, or I'll doubt I'll ever be able to cook. Anybody ever when you think, well, that's probably me. I doubt I'll ever be able to cook. We're always in positions of faith and doubt. Even us coming together to church, there's an element of faith. Watching online, there's an element of faith in this living God. 
that this is not just some sort of uh, meditation, Christian meditation. It's going to God and the desire is to hear God and experience God because we believe in this afterlife. Do you have faith? Do you believe there's a heaven and a hell? Do you believe that there's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe he's the Messiah? Do you believe he existed? He walked this world 2,000 years ago, and he actually went to a cross, and he actually had a physical death, and he rose from the grave. I mean, do you believe that? We're always exercising faith or doubt. Always exercising faith and job. Here's what I want you to hear today. Here's what I, I prayed about this. And I said, Lord, um, what is the message you want to, you want everyone to hear? And here's what God told me. Here it is. Here it is. You ready for it? You can be sure. Can you say that ally with me? Turn in the person next to you and just tell them that. Tell them you can be sure. It's going to make sense. You can be sure. Um, that's uh, <coughs> that's uh that's hard for us sometimes, depending on the way you're wired, depending on the way your, 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 your makeup is. Um, Zechariah had to make a decision between faith and doubt. Now, in the Bible, there's a famous prophet named Zechariah. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about a guy that's found in the Gospel of Luke. Zechariah and Elizabeth have, have a very, very famous son, um, so we're going to start at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Say Zechariah with me, Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. All right, so there's this priest ministry involved in their life. Verse 6 says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. That's, pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. Careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very, what? Very very old. All right. So what I want you to see in this first passage right here is Zechariah and Elizabeth were good people. This is a couple that, you know, today you would say maybe they're in ministry and they're there at church every Sunday morning. Maybe they're there Sunday night. Maybe they're there Tuesday for the Tuesday prayer. Maybe they're for Wednesday, Wednesday Bible study. Maybe they're there for Thursday small group. Maybe they're there for every Saturday. They're the ones helping out around. Maybe they're part of the leadership team. This is a ministry family. This is what, what under the eyes of God, this was, these were righteous people. Righteous people. But we can look at them and say, well, I want to be like a Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want, to, I want to have that kind. I want to be right in the eyes of God. I mean, God looked down from heaven and looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and said, you're righteous. In God's eyes, they were righteous. Then there's this little tagline in there that said, they don't have any children. Well, that's, pretty, that's a pretty big deal. Because during this time, kids were a mark of success and blessings and all of those other things. And it was a wonderful, it was, it was a status symbol, really. And it was just a mark of the favor of God. They do not have children. This godly couple who's doing all the right things, 
who has sacrificed and who's in ministry, they don't have any children, and now they are both very, what? Very, very old. So that's, that's what's happening here. That's the backdrop. And let me just say this, God's timing is always perfect. I know we always want God to move faster. We always do. It's really interesting when, when, when um, you ever talk to people and you ask them, you know, what's a weakness? And they might say something like, well, my weakness is I'm not very patient. And they usually say it with a little bit of pride. Yeah, have you heard that? Like, there's a little bit of pride in, well, I'm just not very patient. And there's a little bit of pride in there and maybe a little bit of ego, that kind of thing. But if you look at God, God is extremely patient. God waits on certain seasons to come to fruition. Scripture says in Galatians chapter 4, at the fullness of time, God sent his son. So really being patient is a mark of spiritual maturity. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. See, God is always looking for opportunities to show you how big he really is. God's always looking for opportunities. I mean, why didn't God show up earlier? Like when Elizabeth was like in her early 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. <laughs> why didn't he show up then? You get this impression that God is not confined to physical or biological laws. They don't scare him. They're not limited to him. It's just about his will. And Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying. That's what's implying here. They have been praying and praying and praying. Say, give us a kid. Give us a kid, God. Give us a kid. We're doing all the things right. We're serving. We're in church. We're in ministry. We've sacrificed. We're loving others. We're serving you, God. Give us a kid. And there's, there's, there's no kid. You ever feel like God is just like a, has passed you and is moving on to others? You've like missed out on whatever it is, and he's not answering that prayer. I want you to hear this. Sometimes you can do all the right things and live with an unanswered prayer. They're doing all the right things. I think if we're honest for some of us, we might look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and say, well, you know what? <clears throat> I don't know if I would have stuck around. I don't know if I would have kept going to church. I don't know if I could go to church and sing that song about the faithfulness of God because he's not answering my prayer. I don't know if I can go to church and sing about that song about joy because I'm not feeling any joy because he's not answering my prayer. I don't know if I can go to church and sing that song about, you know, nothing is impossible for God because I'm very old now and nothing is happening. God, I don't know if I can do that. You have to, I think that's the challenge we face as humans. On this side of heaven, we're walking by faith with this invisible God, right? This trust that, this, that these things happened. And we're, there's, a, there's a huge amount of faith involved in walking with God. And, and that's the way God set it up, and rightly so. But the challenge is, okay, so as humans... If we're walking with God and we're crying out to God and we're praying to God, what if God does nothing? What if he doesn't answer your prayers? What if your life doesn't get better? 
What if you don't have more money? What if you don't have better health? What if you don't have, whatever it is, what if God doesn't answer your prayers, are you still going to walk with God? Are you, I mean, is that, isn't that, I mean, that's kind of the attraction of walking with God. If you think about it, I'm going to go to church and if I go to church, things are going to get better, right? Or if I turn to God, things are going to get better. And I get that. I get that. But what happens, what happens if you're doing all the right things and you're serving in church all the time? I look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's where they're at. And for some of us, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Some of us define faithfulness, and our standard of faithfulness is pretty low. We might serve God once every six months, and we will tell everyone we're servants. You know what I'm saying? Some of us, let's just be honest. We might go to church once every three months and tell everyone we go to church. Right? I mean, let's just be honest just a little bit here. We might, we might you know, do things for our family, but we tell everyone we do good things for other people. Whatever it is, we have a way to rationalize and reason and, and convince ourselves we're really good people. Zechariah and Elizabeth were really good people. They're doing all the right things. They're in ministry and nothing's happening. You have to remember something else about this time. There's something known as 400 years of silence. And here's the 400 years of silence. If you look in your Bible and you go to the Old Testament, right at the very end of the Old Testament, and you go to, oh, look, check this out. <clears throat> so I have, see if you can, I don't know which camera. So here it is. Here's the Old Testament. You got Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And then you have this blank, blank page. And, and uh, Malachi was written between 450, 430 BC. And then you have this blank page. Well, this is 400 years. For how long is 400 years? 400 years, nobody heard a word from God. 400 years, God did not say anything. God was silent. The last thing he says is, he, he says in, in Malachi, and, and, and then all of a sudden, you have this silence, but yet you have these really good priests, these really good faith people, religious people like Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were righteous before God when God was silent. Think about that. I mean, are you, are you able to walk by faith when God is silent? Are you going to continue to be obedient to God when God is silent? Are you going to seek God when he's silent? I mean, th this is their life. 400 years. What is that? Four generations? Think about that. Four generations. Grandma, mom didn't hear God's word. Grandma didn't hear God's word. Great grandma didn't hear God's word. Great, great grandma. I mean, how far back do you got to go until you find someone that, Heard from God. Four generations. Four generations. Four generations. I think behind our faith is a belief that things will get better. You know, you're in a tough marriage and you're thinking, okay, it's got to get better. You know, there's this hope there. Or you're not happy in general. Or you've got bitterness or anger in your hearts from being hurt so bad by other people or whatever it is, or your children are making bad choices or finances or the company that you're trying to start, whatever it is, your health, whatever it is. But what happens when things don't get better on our timeline? 
on our timeline. What happens when we say, I need God, I need you to move, and I need you to move this quick, and it doesn't get better on your timeline? Your timeline. I mean, what happens when you go to a church, and you don't hear a word from God, and you say, well, I'm just going to go to another church? And I'm going to keep going to other churches until I hear a word from God. What happens? When it doesn't happen on your timeline, they're both very old. Here's what I believe God wants us to learn is this. God wants you to learn obedience, even if your circumstances make you question God. God wants you to learn obedience, even when it looks like the bad guys are winning, <laughs> even when it looks like the enemy is winning, even when it looks like this is all unfair, even when it looks like there's illness all around us, even when it looks like there's no justice. God wants us to learn obedience. When I was younger in my faith, I expected God to work around my circumstances. I expected God to change my circumstances. I expected God to, you know, because I'm walking with God, because I'm walking with Jesus, I'm expecting my circumstances to change. There was just that expectation. I think when we first come to God, I think that's our first expectation. And I'll go to God, and because I'm going to God, because I'm going to church, whatever it is, my circumstances are going to change. Well, as I've gotten older, here's what I've learned, is God is not limited to my circumstances at all. Not at all. It's almost like he's oblivious to them. I know he's aware of our circumstances. He's a, when you look at scripture, he's very aware of the circumstances around the Israelites. He's very aware of their situation. That's not a question, but it's, it's almost as if God says, I know what you're going through, but you'll be okay. I'm with you. You don't have to worry about anything. You can just trust me. It's like God wants us to trust him even more than our circumstances. Sometimes we think our circumstances drive everything. You know, just because that time has run out, just because we needed God to move at this time because we have a notice or because this is coming up, this is a due date or, or because this is, and we, we put these limitations on God, expecting God to move by then. So that so we think, okay, now, now God, I need you to move because they're about to move out or paperwork has been signed, prognosis has happened, a sentence has been issued, they walked away, my body's getting older, whatever it is, and God, I need you to move now. So do it, God. Verse 8 says this. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. Remember, 400 years of silence. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. He's a righteous guy. This makes sense. For his order was on duty that week. Remember, he's a priest. And as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot. In other words, by chance. There was some sort of system that they had that they identified, like a lottery. They identified what priests would enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So during this time, what you need to know is there were about um, it, this, this, there were about twenty thousand priests. There were a lot of priests during this time. During the times of King David, there were twenty-four groups of priests. But by this time, there's about twenty thousand priests, and they're all serving. And the priests were broken up into division and were only on duty twice a year for one week at a time. Twice a year for one week at a time. Well, because there were so many priests, this 
opportunity that Zechariah was chosen, literally, it's a once in a lifetime experience for him. I mean, his lot was chosen, and this is a once, and this is not normal for him. And just by looking at the data, looking at numbers, you can make this assumption he's never been chosen before, and now this is it. I mean, this is exciting. This is the biggest event of his life, and he was chosen by lot. So there's three lots, just so you're aware of what the, the several lot, lots would be cast to determine who would perform the morning sacrifice. So the first lot would be who would cleanse the altar and prepare its fire, who would cleanse it and who would prepare its fire. The second lot was who would kill the morning sacrifice and sprinkle the altar. The third lot was who would come to offer the incense. Well, that third lot, who would come to offer the insight, this was the most privileged duty. This is it. This is like the golden ticket right here. <laughs> this is the, the, the first, you know, those who received the first and second lots would repeat their duty at the evening service, but not with the third lot. To offer the incense would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. By chance, Zechariah was chosen. I don't think he woke up in the morning thinking this is going to be my Super Bowl day. I don't think he woke up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm going to hear a word from God. I don't think he woke up in the morning thinking that at all. I mean, I think when he like looked under his seat, like when you're at the Pepsi Center or something, you're like, oh, I'm seat, I'm seat 122. I'm his lot was chosen, and now his heart is racing, and he gets to go before in this temple and, and the most privileged position, burning the incense before the Lord. And verse 10 says, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now, just look at verse 10. Verse 10 screams anticipation, doesn't it? There's people on the outside, and they're praying for those that are, the priests that are inside. 400 years of silence. There's this incredible anticipation that, oh, maybe this is the day God is going to speak. And they're standing outside, and they're praying for the priests that are serving inside. And verse 11 says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Now, when you look at Scripture and you see angels of the Lord, they're mighty, angelic beings. I mean, incredible, you know, beings and wings and swords and just um, glowing and, and incredible presence. And every time you see this, you see people, they are in awe. They humble themselves. They fall before the angel. I mean, there is this genuine fear behind these angelic witnesses. If there was an angelic being right now on stage, all of us would be on our knees in faith. Doesn't matter whether you're atheist or agnostic, whatever, all of us, they're impressive, they're scary. And there's an angelic being that appears and Zechariah, verse 12 says, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Literally, that shaken and overwhelmed with fear means fear fell on him. And that's, we're, we're human. I, I, I get that. I get that. That'd probably be me. Fear just falls on him. Verse 13 says, but the angel said, 
Don't be afraid. Say, don't be afraid with me. Can you do that? Say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. See, he's been praying for a while. Your wife, oh man, what an incredible word for us. Let me just say this. Men, pray for your woman. Pray for your woman. That's the most powerful thing you could do. That's better than flowers, although I know she appreciates flowers. But pray for your woman. Pray for your mom, your sister. Just pray. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him who? John. John. This is John the Baptist that we're talking about here. John the Baptist. Um, he says, don't be afraid. I love this phrase that says, God has heard your prayer. I think somebody just needs to hear this. God has heard your prayer. Will you receive that? God has heard your prayer. Maybe you came to church just to hear that. God has heard your prayer. Someone online, you need to hear that. God has heard your prayer. John, um, this name in Hebrew, it's Yohanan. It means Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. How, what an appropriate name. They've been waiting their whole life. and We don't know how old, but they're very old, right? They're very old. I mean, they're at the very old, it's too late, God, age. And that's where they're at. And God says, you're going to have a son named John, which means God is gracious. God's timing is perfect, and this is what happens, how appropriate. And then verses 14 through 17 what happens is this angel actually gives them this, this description of the character of John. The, John is, is not born yet, and, and this is just an announcement right now to Zechariah. And now he's going to tell Zechariah the personality of John. It's so cool. He did this with Mary as well, with Jesus, of course. But here's the characteristics, and there's six of them. Uh, verse, uh, verse 14 says, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Wow. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Wow, Lord help us. That still needs to happen today, doesn't it? And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That still needs to happen today too, doesn't it? He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Jesus said this about John. He said, I tell you the truth of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him, greater than he is. And here comes verse 18. Here's Zechariah's response. He's, isn't, he's before an angel and, and this whole thing happens and, and he's having this conversation and, and the angel tells him, don't be afraid. And verse 18 says, Zechariah said to the angel, well, let's just read that question out loud, church says, how can I be sure this will happen? One more time. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Wow, how can I be sure? This is the part right here where Zechariah um, doesn't 
exercise a lot of faith. <laughs> this is the part right here where he is known, and his question is, how can I be sure? Remember, I started off the message by saying, you can be sure. And now he's saying right here, well, how can I be sure? And there's, you know, I, my, my thought was, like, why is Zechariah doubting? I mean, there's like an angel talking to him. <laughs> why? And this angel is telling him, you're going to have a baby. This angel is telling him what this baby's going to be like. This angel is telling him. And then Zechariah's question is, well, how can I be sure? I mean, if there was an angel talking to me, I, I would just believe every single word. I mean, it's something that I don't understand. But, but there's two things that, that I, I see in this. I, and, and why is Zechariah not believing? First thing I see is this. Zechariah has a desire for certainty. How can I be sure? Anybody need, like, certainty? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's the way you're wired? You just need to know, how can I be sure? I want to be at, I, I want to be at 100%. You know what? If I'm not, at, I, I can go with 98%. But I need to be certain. How can I be sure? It needs to make sense to me. If it doesn't make sense to me, then I won't do it. I won't take that step. How can I be sure? Some of you are wired that way. And for Zechariah, that's what he's saying. I like what John Henry Newman said. He said, if we insist on being as sure as is conceivable, then we must be content to creep along the ground and never soar. Flying is risky, much like faith is risky. Faith is not the same thing as certainty. And if we wait for certainty, we'll never take off. Isn't that good? Some of us, we like, I have to be certain. If I'm going to take that step, if I'm going to go there, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I need to be certain. And what we do is we put all of that evidence or we put all of that weight on someone else and say, you convince me. We shift it from us to them. And we say, no, 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 you convince me. If we don't shift it to them, you know what we do? We say, all right, God, you convince me. When God gives you a word, God wants you to obey it. God wants you to be faithful. But sometimes we can be so caught up and we can worship this God, little g, of certainty. And we say, God, I, you know what? I just, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? For some people, the only faith they take is when they are sure. It's that place where it makes sense. You know that place we're talking about? You know, are, are you wired like that maybe? Like you, you'll take steps of faith if it makes sense to you. If it, you, have to be, you have to be comfortable with it. And, and, and what I've discovered is God always takes us to this, when he calls us to take steps of faith, well, what's faith if it's not unknown? I mean, that's part of exercising faith. But there's always going to be uncertainty in your step of faith. That doesn't go away. In fact, God wants you to lean on him in that uncertainty. He wants you to trust him. That's faith. That's walking with God. It's not about, you know, I need to know everywhere I'm going and I need to, you know, if I don't, if I don't know, I'm not going to do. There's always going to be this element of uncertainty. It's like, if I get out of the boat and if I walk on water, I might sink. 
And Jesus just says, well, you just need to trust me. You just need to trust me. God says, I want you to honor me with your finances and you're doing the math and you say, I don't understand. There's too much uncertainty. I can't do it. I can't do it. God wants you to serve him. And you look and you say, I'm so busy. I don't have time to serve him. You know what, God? You, under, I, you know, I can't. You know my heart, God. I don't have time. Truth is, I don't want to. That's the truth. Truth is, I'm selfish. That's the truth. But we don't talk about that, God. I'll tell everyone else. You good? There's always uncertainty. And if you can't get past the uncertainty, you will never see what God can do in your life. Completely. The second thing Zechariah does is he elevates circumstances over God's ability. Do you think God was aware of his age? Do you think God knows how old you are? Do you think God's aware of that? Do you think God's aware of every ache and pain you wake up with in the morning? You know, do you think God's aware of your medical profile and your history? Do you think God's aware of your health? God is absolutely aware of it. <laughs> you think God, and God talks to Zechariah, and Zechariah is like, look, I don't know if you know this, but you had your chance, God. You're too late. We're old now. The bus has come and gone. We're old now. We don't do this at this age, God. We're not at the right age to start something new. Could you imagine having a baby right now for those of you who are like over 60 years old or 70 years old? <laughs> Could you imagine walking around with a carrier? I mean, at that age, I mean, you're like, how do you put a carrier in a golf cart in Florida? And like, how do you do that? But you know, there's a, Zechariah's like, God, you're too late. You're too late, God. Your plan was really good about 30 years ago. You're too late. And truth is, I don't know if I want to do it anymore. I don't know if I want a kid anymore. It's too late. God, you had this purpose for my life and it didn't happen and now you're coming. It's on you, God. You're too late. Zechariah is like saying, yeah, but... Do you know anyone who say, like, yeah, but? You know, you tell them, hey, God wants you to, to do this, and God wants you to be part of this. God wants you to start this, or God wants you to do this. And they say something like, yeah, acknowledging it's a good idea. And then they say, but, and they give you a reason why it can happen. You know any yeah, buts? You should do this. yeah. But I can't, I, I can't. Yeah, but it's not for me. Yeah, but we don't have the money. Yeah, but I don't really want to do it. I'm just too busy. And yeah, but it's a good idea. And you almost feel like their hand patting you on the top of their head saying, that's really a good idea. But you need to move on to someone else. Don't ask me. Yeah, but... I haven't, you know, maybe you say, I haven't talked to that person. You know, I know God wants to reconcile this relationship. Yeah, but it's been many years since we've talked to that person, and it's just too late. It's too late. 
Yeah, I know God wants me to give. Yeah, but I, I just can't afford to give. Not even a penny. I just, I need it all. And I know, yeah, God wants me to trust him with my finances, but, you know, <clears throat> you know what? The situation is bad. Yeah, I know, but, yeah, I know, but, you know, I've been hurt in other churches. You know, yeah, I know, but, but we haven't talked in a while. Yeah, I know, but our marriage is beyond hope right now, and we're not even, we haven't had sex in a long time, and we're roommates, and we don't even talk. Yeah, I know, but, you know, my health situation is just so bad, you don't understand. Yeah, I know, but there's too much history. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know, but you know what? I'm too old. Yeah, I know, but I'm too young. Yeah, I know, but I'm just too busy. Yeah, but, you know any, yeah, buts? Here, I want you to hear this. Yeah, buts rarely see God move in ways they can't understand. Rarely. The only time they see God move is when it makes sense to them. You hear that? Those are yeah, buts. They don't ever see God move in unexplainable, supernatural ways because they cannot walk where there's uncertainty. It has to make sense to them. So their experience of the supernatural is really small. It's dependent on their bank account, their time, their circumstances. And that's what, they, that's what they see. That's what they see. I want you to hear this. Zechariah, because we can all have a little Zechariah in us. <laughs> we can all have a little Zechariah. Zechariah's look at the circumstances first, then God second. You hear that? This is so good, guys. Zechariah's look at circumstances first, then God second. So they look at their circumstances, they look at their account, they look at their life, they look at their relationships, they look at their health, they look at all those things, they look at their circumstances first. And in their mind, the circumstances will dictate what God can do. Zechariah says, yeah, but <laughs> we're old now, God. You need to go to the next address. You're too late, God. You're too late, See, when you worry, I want you to hear this, uh, <clears throat> to doubt, when you doubt something, what you're doing is you're trusting something else more. You hear that? You're really exercising faith. When you doubt God, what you're doing is you're trusting something else more whether you're trusting your finances or you're trusting a circumstance. You're tr I don't know why I'm talking so much about money. I was not planning on talking about money. That was not the plan. But money's a big part of our lives, right, guys? But whatever it is, relationships or whatever, when you doubt, you're trusting something else more. That's why over and over in Scripture, when you look at God working with the Israelites, God is constantly putting them in situations where visually they look at the circumstances and they say, there's no way we can be victorious and God says, oh, just trust me. Over and over, God is calling his people to a place of uncertainty and saying, I want you to trust me 
in the deep end where you can't feel the bottom, where you think all the storm is around you and there's just no way God is saying, I want you to trust me when you're in that dire place and you don't know and you don't have all the answers and it's okay because you're, you're not that smart anyway. It's okay. You can't tell the future anyway and you're not that strong anyway. None of us are, starting with me. And God says, I want you to trust me in the uncertainty. <clears throat> Zacharias, Zacharias look at circumstances first and say, okay, God, here's what you can do and shows them the circumstances. You hear that? Those are Zacharias. This is what you can do. God just laughs <laughs> at that. He just laughs. In fact, when you worry about something, anyone worry? What you're really doing is you're trusting something else more when you worry. When you have anxiety, you're trusting what might happen more than God's faithfulness. When you're trusting something, you're trusting something more than God. God uh, Zechariah reminds us of something. Remember, he's a righteous guy under God's eyes. You can't forget that part. But he reminds us of something. See, we can go through the motions of church. We can go through the motions of memorizing, even reading scripture. We can go through the motions of maybe even praying. We can go through the motions, but not really believe. Think about him. He can go through the motion. I mean, think about this. Do you really believe God can answer every prayer you have? Do you really believe it? I mean, some of us, I mean, it's like, it's like just this week, I heard, I heard someone who, who uh, had a tumor and, and his wife was praying for him. This is the husband. The husband has a tumor. Wife was praying for him and they go to, 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 uh, to the hospital and visit the regular routine doctor checkups and there was a tumor on his leg out of all places and, and they were planning an amputation. That's, what they were, that's where it was at. They were planning amputation and she told me that she was praying and praying and treating it and praying and treating it and praying and asking God to do a miracle. She went to the doctor and the doctor looked at it and said, what happened? And immediately she thought, this is bad news. When a doctor, you know, talks like that, you think this is not good. So the doctor said, what happened? And then he says, I've never seen anything like this before the tumor is completely gone. And she said, glory to God. It's good for doctors to hear that sometimes because they don't have all the answers either, right? Glory to God. And I've discovered when uh, we pray for something or about something, whatever it is, and then it happens, isn't there just a little part inside of you that says, maybe it was because of, you know what I mean? Maybe it was just because of the, I mean, or do we really believe like, oh, that's an answer to prayer. I've been praying for that. That is all God. But even when God answers prayers at times, we still have doubt. And we're like, yeah. But, everybody say but with me. He has been going through this, and we did this, and we did this, and we did this, and, and whatever it is. And all of a sudden, it's like we're discrediting. 
but God has done. Yeah, but, see, there's, somebody needs to hear this. There's no circumstance in your life that's bigger than God's power. There's no circumstance in your life that's bigger than God's power. There's nothing you're facing in your life that's bigger than God's power. St. Augustine said, we were talking about God. What wonder is it that you do not understand? If you do understand, then it is not God. Isn't that good? It's a good thing that you don't understand. It's a good thing that I don't understand the intimate details of our universe or the human body or life. It's, it's a good thing. Verse 19 The angel tells him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. So this is the angel Gabriel, same same angel that visits Mary. And and Gabriel tells Zechariah, it's almost like Zech, he's, he's saying, well, how do I, I mean, he, he, first he was in awe and he was in, you know, afraid of this angel and this angel now gives him his credentials. And the, Gabriel says, look, I stand in the very presence of God. I was just with him right now. Why are you asking, how can I be sure? Why are you asking that? I just gave you that word. Just gave you that word. See, Zechariah should be rejoicing. How long has this guy been praying for a baby? He should be rejoicing, but instead he's doubting. Yeah, but here's the consequence. Verse 20, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be, what church? You will be, what? Silent and unable to what? Unable to speak until the child is born. Moms, about how long is that? It's about nine months, right? It's about nine months. Dad's nine months. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I think about this. It's like this remote control. It's like, it's like God said, you know what? You're not going to listen to me. Here you go, Zechariah. And he can't talk. It's like God just brought out his remote control from heaven. He was on his lazy boy. I don't know where he's at. And God, brought, and God pulls it out and just, just says, okay, Zechariah. And mutes him. And mutes Zechariah for about how long? Nine months. I mean, like, what's the longest you've gone without talking? Maybe when you're sleeping, maybe. <laughs> I mean, what's the longest you've gone without, for some of us, it's, you know, it's, we just talk, right? We just think out loud. You know who you are. We all know who you are. Um, you just think out loud. And then I can be like that myself sometimes. But um, here Zechariah is muted. I think there's something really powerful about this because when you look at, at, at scripture and you look at this time while Zechariah was muted, what is he doing when he can't talk? If you can't talk, what are you doing? You're listening. That's all you're doing. Now, I don't know if he could like, I don't know if he could mumble. I don't know. I mean, we learned later he was writing. He probably got pretty good at writing. But he, God hit mute on Zechariah because he doubted God. He hit mute. 
And Zechariah is listening. And when you look at this time of nine months and you look at chapter two, you see a completely different Zechariah. See, the best leaders are listeners. And, and, and the best friends are listeners. The best husbands are listeners. The best wives are listeners. The best leaders are listeners. You've, I mean, listening is an art. You know why it's hard to listen? Because we really just care about ourselves. Sometimes you're in a conversation and really you love talking about yourself, but if they talk about themselves too long, you get bored. Leaders are listeners. Spiritually mature people know how to listen. And when you listen, you learn way more than you're talking. You learn way more than talking when you listen. All Zechariah is doing for nine months is listening. And something's happening inside of his heart because in chapter, in chapter two, he's a different man. All he's doing is listening. It's all he's doing. If you really want to grow, then listen. Before you speak, listen. Before you give your opinion, listen. Do you hear that? Before you give your opinion. Before you judge, because there's times when we do have to judge right and wrong. Listen. Listen doesn't mean you think about your answer while they're talking. Listening means you listen. It's an art. It's this ability to be open-minded and saying, you know what, maybe I don't know. Let me try to look at this from your perspective. I want to understand. I want to empathize with you. I want to understand where you're coming from. I want, I'm gonna, that's a good listener. I want to understand where you're coming from. I don't want to, I don't want to just, I don't want any of my preferences to color this. I'm going to listen. Listen. Don't you find it interesting that Zechariah didn't believe God's word? So what God did was he like muted all of Zechariah's words for nine months. Don't you find it ironic that he does that? The irony behind this whole thing is it's been 400 years. God has been silent. And now there's this Theophilus, right? This word from God. And Zechariah can't share it with anyone. Verse 21 says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And this is significant because when a priest would come out, he, there, was a, there was a priestly proclamation that was made and everybody would repeat the words that the priest would say. So he comes out of the house of the Lord and, and he can't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. What do you mean you can't speak? You put that down and talk to me, Zachariah. You went to the temple to burn incense and now you can't speak. 
because you doubted. <laughs> what does that even mean? You doubted what an angel told you. Oh, now it's all making sense. <laughs> Are you feeling all right? Huh? Maybe you should sit down. Oh, I should sit down. Listen, whatever game you're playing, I really wanted to stop Zachariah. It isn't funny. This isn't funny, Zachariah. An angel told you this. The angel said that our prayers have been heard. That you, my love, will bear a son. Can you imagine? <laughs> Christmas is starting. Glory to God. 400 years of silence. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus, the Savior of the world, the forerunner, the one who's going to make a way. John the Baptist is about to be born. Well, we know who's coming right up right after John. Verse 24 says, Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace. Of having no children. That's our God. I mean, God has the ability to take away disgrace. He has the ability to take away shame. He has the ability to take away regret and guilt. He has the ability to go deep. That's, I mean, do you see how good God is? God is handling Zechariah, right? He's taking care of Zechariah. He loves Zechariah, but he's also, he's working in the heart of Elizabeth. He's working in her heart, isn't he? You see how good God is? When God works, he just covers all the bases. He's so good at taking care of every heart taking care of every heart. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to God. And maybe you're here and, and uh, maybe your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. And you know it. And God knows it. Maybe you're watching online and you know you're not where you need to be. And you know it and God knows it. Why not get right with God while you have breath in your lungs? While the grace of God is over you. Why not turn to the Lord with all of your heart? I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer. Your first step is to receive Jesus. Maybe you've said that prayer before a while back, and maybe you've just drifted from God, and you have a chance to turn back to God. So let's pray. Let me, let me pray with you. If you already received Jesus, say this. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for all of my sins. I turn to you. Others of you, maybe... Maybe God is calling you out and maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ and maybe you need to say, God, I want to turn to you. Let me just pray for the Zechariahs right now. 
the yeah, but people. Would you just say this? God, I want to give my uncertainty to you. I want to walk by faith. I want to walk by faith, God. Even if you don't move. (laughs) Even if you don't answer that prayer, God, I want to walk by faith. So as best as I know how, God, I turn to you with all of my heart, and I'll just tell you right now, I'll be obedient. I'll be obedient. So have your way, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names that we pray all this. Amen.